Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish up the book of Philippians today. I'm, I'm really sad about that. I've really enjoyed uh, preaching through the book of Philippians. It's been really good for me. Uh, a couple things to note as we get started. First of all, in your order of worship, uh, I think there may have been one or two we ran out of copies. There's this little insert about the Lord's Supper, and so take a look at that. Um, this is uh, kind of how we do it and some information. I'll go through it in a minute, but it's good to kind of read through that. If you're unsure of where you are with God and you're not quite sure if you're a Christian or a member of a church, there's also a guide on the back of what you might want to do in reflection if you're not going to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. Um, so that's there for you to, to, to look over, and you have permission to do so. Um, uh, so yeah, so a couple important things also to note. Also today... It's a very special day. It's my wife's birthday, and she's somewhere. I don't know where she is. It's also Carol Barker, her dad. There she is over there. Uh, it's also Carol's birthday as well, and also Joseph Spate. It's his birthday as well. So, yeah, praise the Lord that they were born. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and uh, so it's funny because uh, today we've got community groups starting next week on Valentine's Day. Today is Jenny's birthday. Our anniversary was on the 31st. So the translation of that is I'm broke. Right? I, got, I, got, I got nothing. Right? I, got, I got nothing. We love to celebrate as much as we possibly can. And I do think it's also godly to celebrate. A part of contentment. Amen. So we're bringing this series to a close. Uh, this book is so relevant to us because it's a book about unity. We talked a little bit about that last week. Joy, peace, and then finally how all of those things culminate in contentment in this last little section of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And that is so relevant for us today because it's so lacking. Isn't it fascinating? Uh, so much going on culturally uh, that's making us discontent. So much going on with, with uh, new ways to live and things like that. Uh, but it's also interesting to note that the period of prosperity that has been this last hundred years in the Western world at large. Uh, unparalleled prosperity. And yet how little contentment uh, that there is in the Western world and in America in specific. Pre-COVID. And all of these things. And, and, this, and this really plays into what we want uh, to see happen in our lives, in our community, uh, King's Church, and even throughout the entire world. We want people to experience God. We want people to find genuine friendship and community, family and partnership. And then finally, we want people to live on purpose. Why do we want those three, three, three things? Because we, we believe that that is a summary of what God wants for us, number one. And number two, is that not the picture of contentment in your life? That you're okay with who created you. You have some people who, who love you and that you love and that you put your head on the pillow at night, that you go to the end of your life when it's over and say, I did what I wanted to do. I had a purpose. That's contentment. And that's what we want so it's very relevant. Just as a reminder, as we close this book, uh, Paul's writing the, this letter to the Philippian church from prison in Rome. Now, Rome is uh, Rome. The, the reason Philippi was such a big city is because it's on the main road. Rome Romans were known for making great roads. It's one of the reasons why their empire flourished, right? And their road from Philippi to Rome was only about 800 miles, and so it was well-traveled, so it was a port that they used for that. It's kind of like going from Chicago to New York, if you're looking for like a landmass. And so it's a very significant place, and what Paul does uh, 
it, he says this in uh, this chapter in, verses, in verse 12 of chapter 4, and it's also the title of the sermon. He gives the secret to contentment. Isn't that a secret you'd like to know? Well, God gives it to us this morning. I know it's a secret you want to know because I know it's something that you're all striving for and something that we're all struggling with. Uh, we're struggling with it as a society in a way that is, that is strange. We all, we all want it. We all want contentment that's not lasting. We all get to taste it in little spurts, right? I had a, we had a great meal last night. Uh, you had, uh, had some bread and butter. Bread's not good without butter. And then there's this, uh, preach it, right? And then, and then there was this big meal and fantastic dessert. And so you pull back from the table in that moment and go, what? Ah, like I'm just, I just feel great. I'm just content. Spent time with good people for Jenny's birthday party earlier this week. And you, you go home at the end of that, and, and it was a lot of work that goes into it, but man... You just feel content. You get back into shape and, and uh, you're working out and you go to bed that night and you kind of sink down into your bed and you can feel all of your muscles relax and there's a little bit of soreness. It feels good. You're back in the game. You know what I mean? You're content. There are huge moments in life when, when, whenever the contentment rushes in, like when you win a championship over lots and lots of hard work, or you get married, or you graduate uh, from school, and you feel this contentment. And there's also little moments, like for me, whenever I put my kids to bed at night, and after they finally stay in their room, which is a feat in and of itself, a little bit of contentment, or you watch a sunset. There's these little snapshots. Uh, I remember something unique for me after I graduated seminary and got my first uh, job as a pastor the first day at work. It was just a, there's a contentment there. What's the problem with all of those things? It's that they're temporary. That's the problem. And the other problem with all those things is they come in really good circumstances. What Paul tells us about in this passage is about how to have a lasting contentment. And a contentment even in terrible circumstances. So it's a powerful word for us to hear. Dissatisfaction is a huge problem in our lives. It's a, dissatisfaction is a huge problem in our lives. Uh, medication for depression is at an all-time high. This, there's so much. The suicide is at an all-time high. There are so many people. Divorce or not being married are uh, not wanting to get married, all-time high. We are dissatisfied. Welcome to King's Church. We need satisfaction, and God gives it to us. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. 
Yet it was good uh, of you to share in my trouble. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more, and I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings, and all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Fathers, we consider your word. We simply ask for your light, uh, that you would help us to worship you over the word now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Big idea this morning um, isn't a shocker, but it is something that you can only know if you've experienced it, and I'll get into that in a minute. The secret to contentment is an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. The secret to contentment is an ever-deepening relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Uh, in this passage, what, what happens is he inserts this profound teaching about contentment in the middle of a thank you letter. He's writing a thank you letter uh, to the Philippians saying, thank you so much for providing for my needs. Paul is out sharing the gospel, moving to all these different places. And the Philippian church supported him financially with food. They sent Epaphroditus, who we looked at earlier in the letter, to provide these things uh, for him. And he's saying, listen, I know there's opportunities. I mean, I know there's time in your history where you couldn't. But you have. And you've provided for me richly. But listen, even if you don't, I know the secret to contentment. And that's the same thing that I want for you. Paul is writing, and in the middle of this, he gives the most, the verse that's quoted the most out of context in all of the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a verse about contentment. That's what it's about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That contentment only comes through the pursuit of God Almighty. Because in light of that fact, He has already pursued you. The source of contentment is a person, the person of Jesus. He is not just someone who hands out goodies when you need to be satisfied, but, he, but knowing Him and serving Him is the satisfaction that you seek. Is this an oversimplification? Or maybe just a, a Christian, pat answer, thought, this is something maybe you thought I would say, a preacher would say. Two things. If that answer doesn't make sense to you, one of the things I want us to do together this morning is to examine your God. If you have a watchmaker God who just set the world in motion and backed off, a God who's unconcerned and apathetic, then a deeper relationship with Him is not going to give you anything. 
if you have a powerless or unknowable God, someone who is not, who is not fascinating, then a deeper relationship with Him is not going to bring you contentment and joy. I love what Voltaire said, an Enlightenment thinker back in the day. He said, in the, in the beginning, God created man in His own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. If you've done that with God, then that makes absolutely no sense. And the second thing, and we'll get into this in a minute, is that I want you to realize that true and lasting commitment in Christ has to be tasted in order to be fully pursued. And we'll see that in Paul's life in this passage, that God's providence, how He works in the world, brings about in your life an opportunity to taste contentment. And then hopefully, that's the, what I want for you after today, to then pursue it. Okay? Um, so that's what I want us to see. I want to put a taste in your mouth for contentment this morning. I want you to understand it biblically, and then as best I can from the Word of God, show you the path. Four points. Not all equal airtime, as we love to say here. Point number one, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Point number two, the enemies of contentment. Then the secret of contentment, and then living the secret. The rare jewel of Christian contentment, the enemies of contentment, the secret to contentment, and then finally, how do you live the secret? Point number one, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Um, so many, so few people possess contentment, and yet we're all pursuing it all the time. It eludes us. It's like sand through our hand. It's, it's treasure that we, we just don't know that we can have. Conceptually, uh, contentment's not hard to conceive, but it will require a complete restructure of what you value in life in order to achieve it. Conceptually, you see, uh, listen, contentment is, I'm satisfied with my life. Everything that I have, I need. So, so why can't we have that? We can't have that because the things we value and the things we want are, are always escaping us. And so in order to have contentment, one of the things need to happen. We need to restructure what we value or we need to in some way, form, or fashion get all the things that we think are going to make us happy in order to be content. But I, the Apostle Paul is arguing, you can see from his life, that to have contentment we must restructure what we value. In other words... To use an illustration, I love cotton candy as much as the next guy, but we all know it's basically sugar air, right? I don't know how, it just all dissolves in your mouth. And it will never leave you satisfied because there's no substance there. And in the same way, we need to know, we need to be looking for something that has substance. Christian contentment is not the emptying of desire, but the filling of true and rich desire. In Christ. There's a lot of counterfeits to contentment. There's two that I'm going to mention, okay? Two counterfeits, and then we'll move on to the second point. Two counterfeits, number one, this is the American version of contentment. You spell it M-O-R-E, more. If we could just have more, then we would be content. That's not what the Apostle Paul says in this passage. He says, I know the secret of being content. Whenever I have plenty, Whenever I have nothing, I'm hungry, right? And so we feel like if we can have content, if we want more, but there's a lot of problems with more. To quote the 
theologian, the notorious B.I.G. No, more money, more problems, right? More money, more problems. Uh, more oftentimes brings fatigue. You're pursuing it. You're pursuing more and more and more and more and more, and you're tired. Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. More oftentimes brings more expenses. You have the, the newer car and it requires the higher maintenance. You have the beach house and you have to have the cable. None of these things are in and of themselves bad, but they're not going to be the source of contentment. More often brings more expenses. Ecclesiastes 5.11 As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Oftentimes more brings more anxiety. You have this uh, really nice rug, and all of a sudden you're concerned about all the stuff that might get spilled on it. You go to bed thinking, when you have so much, about how it could all be taken away from you. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 12. Listen, isn't this interesting? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats a little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The laborer has nothing to lose. So he goes to sleep. He's tired. He worked hard. He's tired. He goes up next day, goes to labor again. But the rich man has so much to lose. He struggles with his sleep. Oftentimes more brings conflict. Proverbs 15, 27. A greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. Finally, um, more oftentimes brings more dissatisfaction. That whoever, Ecclesiastes 5.10 again, whoever loves money never has enough. Your satisfaction with it, whatever you just required, will be short-lived. Our garages are full of things that used to consume our attention. More is not the answer. That's a counterfeit contentment. The second counterfeit contentment and we're seeing this a lot, maybe you've experienced it or, or, or desire to experience, is the emptying of ourselves of all desire. This is Buddhism. Nirvana uh, means, in some translations, nothingness. It's to get to the point where you're so one with the world that you abandon yourself altogether. That you don't have any thoughts or ideas or anything. And we're seeing a lot of this. Uh, perhaps you've, you know, some of y'all have partaken in it and seen this is the goal. As, uh, some call it a new age movement, spiritualism, things of that nature. Uh, we, maybe you have or we know many people in this realm. Um, where the goal is to empty ourselves of desire. But the problem here with spiritualism and Buddhism and New Age is that the goal of both is peace and calm and tranquility and contentment, but the means by which they achieve it is numbness to the world. I don't want to feel anything. Stoics did the same thing. They just wanted to rationalize their world so much they could protect themselves so they don't have to feel. Is that really contentment, though? Do you want to be at peace without any desire? To just be numb to the world? It's a counterfeit. The definition of um, Christian contentment uh, by Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, is like this. Christian contentment is the sweet, inward, quiet, 
gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Sweet, calm, tranquil peace inside that submits to God and delights in Him and whatever He brings. This is the rare jewel of Christian contentment. And Paul mentions it. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What, what I'm asking you to want to pursue, what I'm trying to pursue, is a, is a contentment that is immovable, despite the circumstances. And Paul is claiming that he has it. We've talked about its rareness fact that it's a jewel we've talked about the counterfeits okay but before we get to the secret let's talk about the enemies of contentment the secret of contentment is an ever-deepening relationship with God through Christ point number two the enemies of contentment okay in order to really explore the enemies of contentment I think it's it's good to look at the origin of the problem and in order to look at the origin of the problem let me introduce you to the characters If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity, where everything went wrong, the stage is that man was created in a perfect state, eternal, joyful, peaceful, content with every need provided for, everything, and full relationships with each other, with humanity, and God. God used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and be with man. They had nothing. Now, one of the things I want you to note about this relationship is that man, in his perfect state, pre-sin, was created to be dependent upon God. They still needed God to provide for them. They were created dependent. In this passage, Paul is relying on people to be able to support him. Dependence is not a bad thing. Foster mentioned the raising support. The church, I depend on on the support. Josh is raising support. I know one time uh, Jenny had a nurse friend that mentioned to her, she's like, you know that your husband lives off the generosity of others, right? That's really not a safe bet. No, I live by the hand of the Lord, the God Almighty, the same way that everyone does, okay? And we are called to look to Him alone. But here's the problem. Dependency wasn't the problem. The problem was that when Adam and Eve looked at what God had forbidden, they coveted it in their heart. They envied it. The enemies, and I'll go through each one of these, of contentment are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now I'm just going to give you a little short snippet on what those three things are. There'll be a sermon in the coming months, perhaps on each, each one of those, okay? But in this situation, the devil, which is a supernatural intelligence, a creation of God, an angel, a leader of a slew of other supernatural intelligence called demons, and their job is to destroy you, and their goal if you're a Christian is one. If you're not a Christian, their goal is that you would never meet Christ, and you would be damned forever. If you're a Christian, they have one goal, dissatisfaction with God. And that's what they did in the garden. Satan came in and said, listen, God's holding back on you. Just look at that. Grab it. It'll make you like God. The coveting in Eve's heart, she looked at it and saw it was good and that it would give her the ability to be wise like God. 
is the essence and the genesis and the beginning of sin and death entering into the world. Don't you see? The first sin is a culmination of dissatisfaction with God. That's where it entered into the world. Um, the covetousness and the envying of the flesh, the sinful part, the human part of Eve and Adam and ourselves, are what took over and brought sin and death and pain into the world in the first place. Now that's how your contentment is stolen more often than not, by comparing what you have to someone else. By not being thankful about what you have. The quick and dirty of what you need to do to be content is simple, and it's also very difficult. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I love this. Uh, the song we sang earlier is based on this question from the Heidelberg Catechism. I could read it to you every week. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both life and death, to the, my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He has fully paid for my sins with His precious blood, and He has set me free from all the power of the devil. He has preserved me in such a way, listen to this, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Here's what that is saying. By God's providence, if something has come across your path that is painful, if there is a want or a need or a hunger or something that's come across your path, it is because the good Father in heaven knows that you need it for whatever reason. Because not a hair from your head can fall unless God knows about it and makes it happen. All of the women in my house have so much hair. When I get into the shower, it's like swimming in hair, right? Not one hair falls from your head without the Father in heaven. And indeed, all things must work together. Coveting will destroy your contentment. It'll destroy your relationship with God. It'll destroy your happiness and peace and tranquility. Because at the essence of it, you're in the garden looking at the tree going, something's better than God. The world. What I mean when I say the world is not all of humanity or the globe, which are definitions of the world, but biblically when I talk about the world here, I'm talking about the mindset of the here and now. The concrete. What can I see? What I can see with my eyes is all that matters. Jesus says in Mark 4, 19, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of their other thing enter in and choke the word, and it makes it prove unfruitful. There are the cares of everything that's right here and right now. And what Paul says in verse 12 is, I know how to be brought low. I know how to have hunger. I, I, I know how to have need. That what's happening to you right now should not sideline your contentment. And the only way that's possible is if there is a hope that looks past the here and now. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment and frustration. The Christian hope is two things. That the presence of God is here for you now, and that the, promise of God, that the promises of God will come true forever and ever. Amen. 
the presence of God is here for you right now, and that the promises of God will come true forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about the rarity, the counterfeits, and the enemies, and the definition. Now, the moment you've been waiting for, what's the secret? The secret to contentment is an ever-deepening relationship with God through Christ. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens him is the most out-of-context quoted verse in all of the Bible. Uh, frequently, whenever we see it uh, written or, 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 or a banner in places, it means I'm struggling with this thing and God's going to help me get through it. Right? I'm not very good at math. And uh, I put my time in and studying, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you, you might need to work on carpentry. It just might not be in the cards uh, for you, okay? Uh, it, it might not work out. It, that's not what he means by that. In the context here, Paul is saying that in Christ alone, I have found the strength to be, this is fascinating, the strength to be in need and the strength to know how to live with plenty. Both. Because both are a huge challenge. To be able, in Christ alone, to stay calm when you're in need and humble when you have everything you want. Calm when you're in need, humble when you have everything you want. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Help me not to lie. Secondly, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with a food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord my God. Give me just what I need. Because if I have too much, I'm going to forget about you. And if I have too little, I'm going to curse you. Give me what I need in order to be content question is, how does Jesus give us the strength to be content despite our circumstances? If you're in Christ, you have eternal satisfaction, relational satisfaction, someone who knows you in a way that no one else knows you and loves you anyway, a proven track record of provision, a, the power to provide, and then this final one, a fatherly disposition to give you what you need instead of what you want. You know, our, our, my kids ask me for stuff all the time that they're, that's terrible for them. They want toys and candy, but the reality is I know what they need. And because I love them, I'm willing to disappoint them to give them what they need. And in fact, as a dad, you know what each child needs in a different way than another child might need it. For example, on our basketball team, uh, some girls you have to really encourage. You can do it, you can do it. Other girls, the ones who have three older brothers, you, you need to push. How many times are you going to let her score on you, girl, before you do something? If I encouraged swapped that way, they, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. God, as a father, knows you and how to care for you 
Do you have plenty? It's because he knows you. Do you have, are you in need? It's because he knows you. Is there a sin on either side of that coin that is causing you discontentment? He wants you to confess it and repent so that you can come back into the presence and live in the promises. Why is this a secret? I think it's a secret because it's untested. G.K. Chesterton says, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Um, The secret is oftentimes drowned out by so many voices. We talked about that. The world, the flesh, and the devil, and those other things. And those are the main voices we hear. And then also, this is a revealed secret. That God has to move. Paul was miraculously converted. Jesus broke into his life when he wasn't looking for him. This is the glory of the gospel. God says that lest a man be born again, he cannot come into the kingdom of God. That God, this is the good news, has pursued you in in order to make you content and has revealed himself to you or is revealing himself to you right now in such a way that he can give you contentment. In other words, you couldn't find it by yourself. God reveals it to you. That's why it's a secret. Two more. It's a secret that must be tested in order to be believed. That the Holy Spirit has to convince you that the goodness of Christ and the providence of in your life right now, whatever's happening, is for your good and contentment. It's something that Paul that God must teach you. For example, in this passage, what does he say? I have learned. He says it twice. I have learned. You didn't, didn't come out the womb or as a baby Christian and like, I'm content. Had to learn it. And then finally and briefly, living the secret. The secret of contentment is an ever-deepening relationship with God through Christ. Living the secret. Very simply, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing what you have to what other people have. When you do that, it destroys your ability to have joy, and it also destroys your ability to celebrate with someone else. I remember as a ball player, we were always competing for spots, and it was really difficult for me every time I saw one of my teammates hit a double. It was really difficult because I wanted to be on the field. And every time he hit a double, it was less chance that I was going to be there. Struggled with contentment. If we're always looking over the neighbor's fence, we're going to struggle when they come home and say, I got the promotion or whatever. Right? We can't celebrate and have true and beautiful relationships. And this is a really big deal to God. I'm, in my personal time with God in the morning, I'm reading through the book of Numbers. I, I love Numbers. It's, it's stark. I skim through the ones with all the numbers. Just, you know, you can sigh of relief there for you. When it's uh, three chapters full of nothing but numbers, just skim it through. But there's some good stuff in there. Uh, in Numbers 11, Numbers 12, Numbers 14, 16, and 21, the people of Israel complain and God sends a plague or serpents or something, opens up the earth, and hundreds and thousands of people die. That seems unfair. They're just complaining. They're just grumbling. Paul says it in this path, do it everything you do without complaining or grumbling. This seems kind of harsh. But not when you realize that discontentment and complaining was the origin for sin and death and pain and disease entering the world in the first place. 
and God taking these drastic measures to teach his children, he did so because he is keeping them from the disease that was going to kill them and is killing them. It's merciful for God to wake us up out of our discontentment. A couple other things I'd say is to be thankful, to meditate on the great things in your life. We talked about that last week when Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you're anxious, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, verse 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving... Present your request to God. Be thankful. When you feel anxiety, and you will, I do, pray. Look at the beautiful and wonderful things. Pursue God. Relentlessly pursue God in worship. You want to know why the, one of the reasons why we harp on y'all to attend corporate worship? You want to know one of the reasons why we harp on y'all to spend time with God every day in His Word? This is why. We want you to know the secret to contentment, relentlessly pursue God and worship and to come into a place like this and say, He is big, He is glorious, I don't need anything else. Relentlessly pursue God. Be generous with your money. Look at the example of the Philippians. Supported the gospel work, okay? Focus on relationships and not stuff. Focus on people and not what you have. In uh, verse 21 here, he says, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me. Send greetings. I make this argument all the time that the Apostle Paul is probably one of the most relationally rich men who ever lived. That's a good life. Find your purpose in serving God. Uh, Philippians 4.22 says this, All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Paul took the gospel to Caesar's household, and people met Christ. That's an incredible purpose. Alistair Begg, um, a great sermon on contentment, he said, Christian contentment is the fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord and to be entirely at His disposal. The secret of contentment is an ever-deepening relationship with God through Christ. And what I'm praying for you and me is that God would put that taste in your mouth, that you would see here today and understand it biblically, and that you would see the path. What we're doing right now is we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper. And this supper is a symbol of the sacrifice that was needed to make contentment possible. The sacrifice that was needed to bring us into the presence of God, the sacrifice that was needed to make all of the promises in God come true. The answer to contentment, the secret, you will get to taste and see right now. Father in heaven, as we have heard from your word and have worshipped you over your word, we also ask God that you would help us to worship you now uh, over this sacrament. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little bit about the Lord's Supper.